abortion. It's in the news, and we tackle it right away because it's a very, it's a very serious time. Very, very serious, serious episode today. Yeah, House of Decline. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> which is why we brought on Steve, our special Hello. serious correspondent. That's yeah. abortion is my specialty. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, we're talking about we're three guys just talking about abortion. Today Who should get them? When decline. should they get them? How should they get them? How frequently? Yeah. You know where? I under what circumstances? Al- yeah, we're allowed to define the rules because, like, we're impartial in all this. You know. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna stop this mm. line of reasoning right now uh, and explain. Well, maybe it should be a eunuch that decides. You're you know? right. You're right. We should we should bring back eunuchs. I mean, we have people that are voluntary eunuchs. We have we have nullos. If you've ever explored the nullo world, did they did they make themselves smooth like a Barbie doll? Yes, yes. That's precisely the nullo ethos. Steve, have and you ever for the of- for the stupid people like me? What's a eunuch and what's a nullo? Uh, I don't know. So a eunuch is an ancient term for a person that had their genitals removed in. Mm. Uh, and uh, they occupy different places in history. Uh, Nullo is a modern term for a person that also wants to have their genitals removed. Well, this person is voluntary. A eunuch, they, most of them weren't voluntary. It's not, you know, I'd rather be a Nullo than a eunuch is what I'm saying. I believe I they are also in Game of Thrones. Uh, eunuchs are, yeah, Varys is a famous character who is a forced, forced eunuch. It's uh, not good. And I believe also uh, they're present in the Back to the Future uh, trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael J. Fox's character is classically a eunuch mm-hmm. in Back to the Future. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's that's why he never makes it with all of them with all of them hot goyles. Gee, Mom, you're hot, but like, I'm a eunuch. I'm a eunuch. I can't do it. It's all smooth down there. I mean, that's why, you know, people ascribe some sort of pedophilic relationship between Doc Brown and Marty. But really, you know, he's a eunuch, so it's fine. You know? Yeah, I think Doc Brown also is a eunuch. He's also a eunuch, you know. Yeah. It's, that's I guess from what you're describing, it sounds a lot like just cartoon characters, like SpongeBob SquarePants without the pants. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but in SpongeBob, there'd be like a gag where there's like a bubble between his legs, and that's supposedly the bubble... Show the covering his his sponge genitals, but then uh, it pops and he's embarrassed. But there are no sponge genitals to be seen. How do um, sponges? Uh, let's get a little uh, marine biologist here. How do sponges um, pre- reproduce? Uh, I don't know, but uh, the Texas sponges try to control it. All right. That's a bringing it back. Bringing it back. We're we're going. We're taking a tunnel through two Seinfeld references from marine biologist to Elaine Sponge into uh, the Texas abortion issue. Yeah, which I well, that's what I did comics about this week. So we're we're doing a little slight format change, but we're talking about some of the comics that I drew this week yeah. and letting that inform the conversation for a change. And this week. Um, Texas uh, passed a monstrous law uh, that not only uh, it makes it, uh, it's, it's up to six weeks that you have in order to get an abortion, and that's it. After, after six weeks, you can't get an abortion, which, as many people point out, is really not enough time to determine if you're pregnant or not, because, uh, you know, lots of lapses and menses can happen. And, uh, but on top of that, there's a $10,000 bounty 
if you rat out your friends who are getting uh, these secret abortions or these illegal abortions. So uh, it's been a huge rollback for the rights of women and uh, especially on the Supreme Court, uh, on the Supreme Court side, they refuse to uh, uh, they refuse to adjudicate on the issue uh, in a five to four ruling. They said they would. It's not an issue. The Supreme Court has any authority to adjudicate on. And so uh, it's there. The Texas law is there. And now it sets precedent for other states who are similarly anti-abortion to uh, do terrible things. And uh, this is so that's a, why we made some comics about that's it. Why we made some comics about it, baby. It's, it's really funny. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it's not that it's not it's not funny, but aspects surrounding it are funny. So one of the one of the abortion campaigns was Steve. Did you see the abortion baby that looked like Cthulhu? I did not. That sounds pretty badass, though. Yeah, yeah. So uh, some some sort of campaign had said, this is what a baby looks like at seven weeks. And it's this pulsating nub. And it just looks terrible. And anyone who viewed it, any sane person that would view it is like, well, yeah, we got to kill this immediately. We got to, you know, stamp this <laughs> yeah. out. I'll send and it in so, the chat, Steve. You can you can check it out oh, in the I chat. See, I see it. That's, yeah. and that's then, terrifying. Yeah. And many people pointed out that its arms raised against its face look like the tentacles of Cthulhu. Uh, it really, really fucking looks like Cthulhu. It's like inescapable. It's it's so anyone who's in the know with HP Lovecraft. So that's what people use in order to uh, pluck the heartstrings. And um, similarly, uh, uh, not similarly. So I did a cartoon about it where they have discovered uh, the perfect picture to to use in their fetus campaign. And it's just, it's a horrible fetus. It's no one would like that. No one could possibly like that. Oh, so if that's you were the, the daddy of that fetus, you'd love it. Maybe. You'd I, love I don't it. know. Yeah. There's also, we, I, we've, there was a weird discussion on Twitter about, you know, would you abort your Down syndrome baby? Which is like, I'm not, let's not get mm -hmm. into that on here. I, no, I think we did talk about. Did we did. We, not? we did talk about eugenics. We talked about because in Denmark eugenics. the rate of in Denmark um, they are always aborting babies with Down syndrome, and the rate of babies with Down syndrome has really gone down. And so then there's like people who have Down syndrome are aware of it, and they and it makes them feel really bad. <laughs> yeah, I'd feel yeah. bad. Uh, so there was that discussion that was also going on. Uh, but uh, uh, the other the other aspect of this is a lot of discussions about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her role in uh, holding on to her Supreme Court position as long as she did and then dying. People are joking of covid, which seems kind of likely after going to a wedding during the Trump era and then well, someone she, replacing her. She also had like a thousand diseases. Yeah, she was also yeah, uh, uh, cancer riddled with cancer, you know. So who knows what got her in the end? Uh, <laughs> Steve, this is exactly why we had you on. Yeah, this, so, so Steve, how do you, do you feel that Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have retired? Uh, yes. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That's the correct answer. That is the correct answer. <laughs> As an expert in both abortion and the Supreme Court, I'm going to go with yes. Um, yes. Well, my, my take on the uh, abortion law in Texas is that I, do, I think it's going to be overturned. 
because in the, how like someone is going to challenge it in like that a, the, not an appellate court but it, well um i think the supreme court is throwing it back to the courts to have the lower courts decide and then the lower courts are probably right. going to overturn it and then the supreme court is probably going to just not take it up and let the overturning stand because the issue is besides the stuff with abortion I think the Supreme Court's going to avoid ruling on the abortion aspect of it by saying that the people who are suing have no standing to sue. And it's going to be thrown out, I, my prediction, based on a lack of standing. Because mm -hmm. if your Uber driver drives you to an abortion clinic and then gets sued for doing that, like you don't have a real standing legally to sue the Uber driver for anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do think it'll be thrown out, but um, in the in the larger sense, it's it's a bad law, and Texas's government is filled with terrible people. Uh, mm -hmm. and, Good old Greg Evans, and I can I can say that because I'm from there. Yeah, you you're not one of these Yankees who are turning their nose down. You're you're from Dallas proper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know Texas is doing all kinds of crazy stuff like not like making it illegal to mm -hmm. to force people to wear masks mm -hmm. which is uh, not very pro-life <laughs> at all yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey you guys you're not pro-life but you're always for you know fucking chickens right that's not you don't like chickens you you're don't right. like the chickens that's lots. a standard it's a very often repeated argument but to not let schools require masks and then have like the highest rate of children dying of covid mm -hmm. yeah it's not it's uh yeah no there's definitely uh there there was a study that i i was reading on twitter and yeah. uh it was it was talking about how india actually had this massive pilot program that they were able to use as this uh this study on the efficacy of masks where some villages took masks and others didn't and the villages that took masks had a, a statistically significant uh, rate of not getting COVID. Yeah. Uh, the other I mean, villages were getting COVID all over the place because they didn't cover their, their food hole. The problem is that COVID is spread via droplet and via aerosol. Mm -hmm. And masks are not 100% effective when it's spread via aerosol. Because, mm -hmm. like, masks don't always fit on your face perfectly. Air yeah. can escape through the sides. Sometimes you see a lot of people wearing a mask below their nose. So what you're saying is we should all be wearing gas masks, is what you're saying. Um, I mean, if you care about, like, other people uh, to that degree <laughs> that you're willing to inconvenience yourself, sure. I think you look cool. You look like one of those industrial punk guys, you know, with your gas mask which you and your rave gear. You like what I don't get, what I don't get personally is why especially like asshole men are so opposed to wearing masks. You look pretty badass with a lot. Yeah. Everyone look like looks hotter. Yeah. Everyone looks hotter with a mask on because you can't see your ugly ass face. You just see the good part of your face, which is your eyes and eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't get to see my chubby fucking cheeks. You don't get to see my horrible stubble that grows in in patches. You know, mm -hmm. you don't get to see my misshaped nostrils or my weird boogers because the nostril holes are so big. St Steven, are you body dysmorphic? No. 
That's stupid. Or do you have body? I would never. I would never fall for Steven's that. Point, You're just to Stephen's point. There have a lot. There have been a lot of people I've met while they were wearing masks. And when they took the mask off, I was like, wow, you're not nearly as attractive as I thought. <laughs> yep. It's, it's, uh, what's that? There's, there's an old th- in winter, you know, everyone has heavy coats, so you shouldn't date in winter because you might be dating a fat guy. Yeah. There oh could God. be a fat guy under there. And then you'll have to break up with him and that would, <laughs> that might give him a heart attack. Yeah. And he's crying. He gets a heart. <laughs> that would suck if you're breaking up with a fat guy and he's going, <laughs> oh God, take me to the hospital. We can make yeah. those jokes because we're all no. I'm I consider myself I'm part of the fat community, but they might reject. Oh yeah, me. you're part of the fat community. I'm, fat, I'm part of the fat community. Where do you guys have meetings at uh, the donut shop? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. At the McDonald's, you know, at the at the churro stand. Well, you know, it, ch- it changes every week. We hit up uh, one or several fast foods. <laughs> Hey, I'm 20 pounds overweight. I'm in the overweight community. There you go. Yeah, the overweight community. We'll form I'm, our I'm own. skinny as fuck. I can't laugh at any of these jokes. No, no you, you privileged. You privileged skin. What, what are they? Skinny what are, privilege. What are that the, is a thing people try to argue is skinny. Well, yeah. it does. It does exist for sure, but it's it's harder to take seriously than others. Yes. <laughs> Uh, sure. I mean, no, that's not. Well, I'm not going to get into the the fat phobia debate. That's a different debate. The the other two cartoons that I've done this week are very slight. One is about how James Corden is a horrible monster who mm-hmm. wants to murder me. Yep. Um, and yeah, people were having a reaction to his this video where James Corden dressed as a rat to promote the new Cinderella film. Uh, he's in. He, he starts thrusting towards somebody in traffic in his rat costume. It's like, everybody, get it away. It's James Corden. Kill him. So everyone was having a good time uh, just marveling at this man that nobody likes. Who likes James Corden is the question that people were left with. Like, I get like dum-dums liking Jimmy Fallon or like uh, people who think they're or- urbane liking Stephen Colbert. But who is James Corden for? Exclusively children? And why does he have a late night show? Yeah, he was like foisted upon us by the executives of of the major networks, kind of like how they tried to do with Jeopardy, but but mm-hmm. they, no, there was no pushback. I'm hoping he falls prey to some kind of weird scandal in the future. <laughs> well, but he's but, already he's because mm-hmm. he's just so many people have said James Corden is an asshole, and his behavior on behind the scenes is notoriously bad. Well, yeah, you know, you know, it's. Who cares? Uh, to run a late night show, you're like, watch the Larry Sanders show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your hit, the hit comic of the week, though. Gabagool hit com- Tony. Hit comic of the week is Gabagool Tony. This uh, is my favorite because it's not about <laughs> politics. It's just a, it's a <laughs> nice comic. It's a nice comic about uh, two memes coming to get two bad memes coming together. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty new to Twitter. It's got this whole insular culture that you know goes back about you know uh when when was it started like 2007 2007 i think so so um yeah it's it has this sort of house style of posting that is cultivated and i feel you've had to have been on there for a while it's sort of like the same weird hierarchy you got in 4chan with old fags as they were called versus versus the new newbies or whatever there, I have no idea. But, um, yeah, so 
I, I was just getting into it, you know, in early Twitter. I was like, we're making Sopranos memes, guys. We all like the Sopranos, right? Right? We're all, we're all good Sopranos guys. And now Sopranos memes are lame because people overuse them. Or just like the rapid, the rapid meme cycle, how things are at one time fashionable and, and, and at another time completely passe. And you won't know until you've done the thing that people say is passe and then they call you an asshole for it. And so uh, this is my attempt at making the worst meme imaginable. Uh, mm. Gobbagult, which is mixing the Rick and Morty, I'm Pickle Rick. Very embarrassing. Very gauche. It's very gauche to use Pickle Rick in this year 2021 uh, with uh, Sopranos memes, with, which have just recently become a source of ridicule. And to make Gabagool Tony, he's turned himself into a piece of Gabagool. And people thought. And what is Gabagool for those of us uh, not from the uh, East Coast? It's the regional pronunciation for Capicola, a type of Italian cured meat, not dissimilar from bologna. Yeah, Yeah, they all give you cancer. They all give you the delicious nitrates. We had a song called Nitrates, remember? Yeah, I think so. Remember from uh, Septic Mountain? Septic Mountain. Septic Great Band. Great band. Uh, but speaking of the volatility of fashion, the real reason why we have on uh, Steve is to talk about the NFT market and how it has exploded since we last had him on the show, I think in episode 42. Um, and you were just starting out then, and now it's become this gigantic uh, economy. And so... Uh, what are, what are you, let's, let's hear about some stories from the world of NFTs, Steve. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of weird cause you're saying it exploded, but from my perspective, I've just been on NFT Twitter and NFT discord this whole time. So it's just been like the same kind of insular bubble of NFT talk. Mm-hmm. And I think that like the only like real difference I'm noticing is that people like you are like, wow, the NFT market's exploding or my mom reads an article in the New York Times about it. Mm-hmm. Every, like every once in a while, I hear something crack. Uh, I, I hear something about how it's cracking into the mainstream. But mm-hmm. I think these days I have become full on addicted to social media and NFT, uh, the NFT universe. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like my worldview has shrunk drastically. Yeah, well, you're in this. You're in this tiny group of, uh, well, it's not even that tiny. How how large would you estimate is the NFT market? Who are buying and selling these things? Yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've tried to figure, it's been a while since I've looked at it, but I know that on um, Artblocks, the, um, the, the platform that I mainly publish my NFTs through, I think it's, there may be about, I think there are less than 10,000 unique uh addresses or like like ethereum wallets holding it and which isn't like a perfect measurement because a lot of people have multiple wallets but i guess if you're just like looking at the number of like followers that some of like the top nft people have i guess Mm -hmm. like it's probably somewhere in like the tens twenties thirties of thousands the people that are actually buying nfts or just even like the people who are just like on social media and like paying attention to the NFT landscape. So like, let's say somewhere in like the ballpark of like 50 to a hundred thousand. Um, and 
I think also just like the the sort of NFT landscape is like a little, I don't know, it, it's sort of like all over the place and different people focus on different things. Like mm-hmm. that I tend to focus on is more, um, I guess it's, it's a little closer to like what might be considered like the fine art uh, area of NFTs where it's basically you're just trading art tokens. Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of other uh, areas that focus on just like, various like stupid collectibles or like sports things or like Mm -hmm. uh nft collections that focus on profile pictures that people could use on social media is a big one Mm -hmm. seen uh like the board i've seen some of those or yeah the crypto punks every i've seen everyone every uh fine every weird finance guy has a crypto punk as yeah, profile the, picture. the crypto punks thing is interesting because i think in a lot of ways they've sort of kicked they sort of kicked off uh, a couple different avenues of nft growth where what is what is crypto punks for for the uninformed so what is crypto punk crypto punks is well i guess like backing up in um my my first introduction to crypto punks was in 2017 I think when I worked on a uh, basically my own uh, shitcoin cryptocurrency called Fast Cash, mm-hmm. which was sort of incorporated into a larger um, sort of like art website project thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, at the time, I wasn't really aware of that many art projects that were based on the blockchain. And I was part of the New York City Ethereum uh, meetup group, and they had a session where it was like art on the blockchain. I'm like, oh, cool! Like, I like I want to see who else is doing art on the blockchain. And I go to this meetup, and I guess like the first two speakers were pretty forgettable because um, I I forgot them. I don't remember for the life of me who they were. But the the last speaker were these two guys uh, who were part of this consulting company called Larva Labs. Great. That's exactly they, that's exactly the type of name you want. Yep. And they were giving this presentation on this project they did called CryptoPunks, which is basically they generated uh, 10,000 unique pixelated images of different people. Some of them are male, some of them are female some of them are apes some of them are aliens some of they them have different hats but they're yeah. like they're instantly recognizable because they're all based on the same template of 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 person yeah it's it's a very um if you see one you know immediately that's a crypto punk but what what makes it interesting is i think is that they they really sort of like boil down the essence of collectibles to this one series where it's like, yeah, you have 10,000 different iterations of the CryptoPunk, mm-hmm. but each of the CryptoPunks has a different set of features. Like, like you were saying, like some of them have hats, some of them are smoking cigarettes, some mm-hmm. of them have earrings, some of them have three features, some of them have no features, one of them yeah. has seven features. Yeah, uh, it becomes a game of Pokemon. Suddenly, uh, there is this gotta catch them all aspect to it. There is this uh, gamification by making yeah. it into a collectible thing, where some features are rarer than others. Yeah, so like I think like early on, a lot of people were really big on like, oh, I'm gonna try and collect as many apes as I can, or as many zombies as I can, or as many guys wearing hats 
as I can. Mm. But I think just over the years, CryptoPunks just got like increasingly popular. So I think the funny thing is that at this um, at this meetup that Larva Labs was presenting at, one of the interesting things that they noted around the end was they were talking about how like, oh, and it's like pretty crazy how some of these things like the aliens, which are really rare, people are willing to pay 50 or $100 for. And like, we don't get it. This is, isn't this pretty nuts? Yeah. And if you fast forward a few years, I think the floor for the entire CryptoBank series is like last I checked was somewhere around 40 or 50 Ethereum. So basically like hundreds of thousands of dollars. 40 or 50 Ethereum equals hundreds of thousands of dollars is what you're yeah. saying. Um, so so the, in, in short, the, it, the market has gone from. So when did you first attend that meeting in Larva Labs again? So this must have been either in the end of 2017 or early 2018. OK, so within four years, this thing that was this uh, this fringe thing has become this gigantic, not gigantic. It's small, as you said, you know, only like 10,000 people. But the, a lot of money is going through this industry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a little it's probably more than 10,000 people. I'd say it's somewhere like in the order of magnitude of like 10 to 100,000. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like there aren't like a lot of great numbers on it. So it's hard to say. But the finance community is paying attention to this new market. It is it has got the attention of the big wigs. As they yeah. Say. Mm -hmm. So I think the one of the interesting things about it is that um I think on just like a consumer basis of just people who straight like it's not even like a money thing. They just like straight up like collecting shit or they just like like the art and they they want the feeling of ownership over this like single piece of art or yeah. or maybe they just like treat it like Patreon, which I think is yeah. like the healthiest way to treat it, which is like, hey, this is like money. I'm essentially throwing down the tube, but it helps the artist out in an exchange. I've essentially yeah. token from the artist. Yeah. And I think it, it sort of like started out like that. And you had a lot of people who just like any other collectible, like stamps or like trading cards or whatever, like they were just willing to spend a lot of money on it just because mm -hmm. they, they wanted to collect all the stuff. But I think around the end of last year and earlier this year, you as as you might expect with something that's based on uh just like in the, the cryptocurrency universe um you had a lot of people who saw this trend catching on and just getting popular incredibly quickly which means that the price is going up so then you had a lot of people treating it less as collectibles and art and more as an investment could and you point to a singular event or like a time when you saw it break from this underground crypto thing to this now uh now like company like to commemorate space jam they were offering uh you know bugs bunny nfts to people mm -hmm. uh, uh can you point to is there like a singular event in your memory or like uh maybe a month when you all saw it explode yeah i mean i don't know if it's like a singular event but i think i think it's sort of the uh it's sort of like the result of the last couple years. And I think it's a couple different trends where I think one trend that sort of led to all of this was uh, just like COVID where people mm. are through, through most of the year, 
people are sitting at home and they are just like on the computer, they're online all the time. They're looking for A, things to do and B, just like communities to Mm -hmm. be part of. So yeah, it's just like, like we were, we were already like very much online, but COVID just like really accelerated the rate to which. Yeah. The like ready online. player oneification. Yeah. The, just the like kingdom heartsification. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that that was like one big trend where it's like now all of a sudden it's like, even for like art lovers where it's just like, oh, I can't go to a museum, but I could, there's like all this like digital art floating around. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one thing that sort of led to all this, but yeah. I think another thing is um, a lot of it, I believe, is just money sort of like flowing into the ecosystem due to just like fiscal and monetary policy and just like the U.S. economy, which like Mm -hmm. on one hand, like feels like pretty. But on the other hand, it sort of makes sense where last year the government was straight up just like handing out checks to people and you have a lot of people we're basically like, well, like, what am I going to do with like a thousand dollars? Like this really isn't going to help me out like that much, but Mm -hmm. I sort of see um, like cryptocurrency going to the moon. So if like, maybe like, rather than just like put this in the stock market and get 6% a year, it's possible. Maybe I could 10 X. And I think, (laughs) so I think that trend sort of led to people filing into just like the crypto landscape in general. And I think on Ethereum, you had a lot of people who were making a lot of money on uh, DeFi, which is like decentralized finance. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so then you just ended up with a lot of people who had all of this cryptocurrency and they didn't want to, ca- I think a lot of them didn't want to cash out to uh, fiat because mm-hmm. then they would have to pay taxes on it. Yeah. So they were looking for things they could essentially spend this money on. And meanwhile, there's sort of like the burgeoning uh, crypto art scene. And it's just sort of like you put the two together yeah. and have a pe- people with a lot of crypto starting to like bid on these uh, collectibles and art tokens. Yeah. And that sort of made things, you know, go up and... You know, I think just like with economics in general, it's like once you have an area where a lot of money's being made, people take notice of it. And mm-hmm. I think that's what happened here, where it's just there was a lot of money being made by uh, a small group of people and people noticed it. So then they started filing into the ecosystem, which pushed prices up even further. And then even more people looked at it like, wow, look like this like this NFT just went up like a hundred X, like maybe mm-hmm. I could do that. And then you start getting even more money coming into it. Yeah. So now I think we're in an interesting place where you had uh, sort of like retail. I don't know if I want to call them like retail investors or retail consumers, but just sort of like the little guy uh, sort of like experiencing FOMO and pumping money into the ecosystem, which makes it go up. And now what we're seeing, which is really interesting, is the retail FOMO is sort of leading to institutional FOMO, where you're starting to see a lot of institutional investors and like VC funds and hedge funds start to like get into the industry. And some of them are very explicitly pushing prices up, where um, there are a couple out there that are very obviously just buying a lot of 
pieces for a lot of money. And I think what that's resulting in is you have a lot of people um, essentially like their exit strategy is like, oh, if I buy this, then maybe I could, maybe one of these like institutional investors will spend a lot of money on it Mm -hmm. for me. And um, then I will, then I will be rich. So as a result of this, it's not hard to predict that all of this is in a, a massive bubble right now. Uh, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't disagree. It's like hard. It's really like hard to say because uh, I've long thought that like crypto has been in a bubble and I've thought that NFTs have been in a bubble for like months now and it just keeps fucking going, Mm. Uh, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's not in a bubble, but it, it sort of might imply like, oh, maybe the first time I thought it was in a bubble, that was actually, it's sort of like natural uh, equilibrium. And then it just kept going in that direction. And like, now it's in a bubble. Yeah. I mean, that is like, also thinking about the various environmental disasters, uh, the fact that an NFT doesn't really exist anywhere and that it exists everywhere means it can't really be destroyed. So functionally, hmm. unless, you know, someone uses the EMP to take out the entire Internet, which would be cool. Then your then your they'd stupid have, NFTs would be worthless. They'd have to do it on a global scale. Yeah, because it is there are servers all over the world. So yeah. it would be very hard to take out the electricity everywhere simultaneously. Yeah, a um, painting can be destroyed. I do them all the time. That's not the real uh, that's not the real birth of Venus in the Uffizi galleries there. I did I that. Think- I think what would be interesting, though, would be if the Internet and hence the Ethereum blockchain sort of like segmented. So like, let's say we like go to war with China in like 20 years or whatever, which is, you know, like not totally unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And if you sort of like segment the public Internet or like just like, yeah, so like the, 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 the Ethereum network can't communicate with itself, then the blockchain essentially forks. And now you just have like two versions of truth. So then you end up in this like weird space where like, oh, in like the Western world, I own this NFT, but in the Chinese world, I don't own the NFT because I don't exist in that like alternative universe in the same way. Yeah, there might be pretty cool. There might be like regulations between that cause some kind of forks between EU and the rest of the world. That's another uh, scenario. That I've been thinking mm-hmm. about as the EU uh, creates much more is they're much more on top of internet regulation, and I definitely think the first NFT laws we'll see will probably come from the EU. You know, they're very familiar with people um, putting large amounts of money into art to avoid uh, detection. Mm. Um, it's a common, a common, <laughs> a common you way. You had to, to do a few things back then, you know. <laughs> But, you know, uh, it, now we have NFTs. If Look, if the Nazis had NFTs, they wouldn't have had to rob so many Jewish artists, right. you know. Um, my, the thing that interests me with uh, NFTs is the intersection with meme culture and how, uh, like, what makes a good NFT is, like, it, it combines a lot of different aspects of Internet culture. Mm-hmm. I saw one person describing your most recent project, which is fake Internet money, right? Mm-hmm. as like a combination of of like meme plus some other like ingredients and that's why he liked it um so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your new project fake internet money 
and how it uh, how it works if as much as you can go into detail yeah sure so um so earlier this week i did a project called fake internet money and so i guess like i did it on i published it through this website called artblocks which um was directly inspired by cryptopunks in that uh, a project like cryptopunks has uh just like you know this like sort of throughout the whole collection there is this theme that sort of ties it all together and then but despite it being tied all together you have different variations throughout it mm -hmm. so in around the end of last year um this guy snowfro launched this website artblocks which focused very explicitly on generative art on the blockchain so generative art being you um you have code that describes the output of the art and there's an element of randomness there so every time you run the script you essentially get a totally different output mm -hmm. but because it's the same script you have like it like it sort of looks the same or like there are definitely lots of like similarities across yeah. all the iterations but you have things like, oh, well, if random number is less than 0.5, then make it blue. But if it's greater than 0.5, make it red. Yeah. So then and some to... will have serial numbers that are larger or like they'll have numbers in the corner or they'll have like nice scroll work in the center. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess just bring it back to fake Internet money. Um, I, I previously did two projects with them and this was my third and sort of the, my motivation with this was, um, I think just like similar, like what we were talking about earlier, just like how NFTs are increasingly becoming uh, financial assets. And even though there's an art component to it, I feel like with a lot of people, it becomes like less about the art and more about the, the, the monetary investment in it. Yeah. So one idea I had was like, okay, I, I really like the, collectibles aspect of nfts because just my brain is just really into collecting stupid shit mm -hmm. and i really like the aesthetics of paper currency and additionally paper currency something i really see uh fitting in with like a lot of expectations of generative art and i also want to sort of like make this comment on the financialization of art Mm -hmm. uh, in the NFT world, so I I decided that I would do a project where I would uh, basically each iteration would be a different version of this fake currency, where mm -hmm. some of them have high denominations, some of them have low denominations, some of them have uh, like a what I call like a fiat color scheme, some of them have a crypto color scheme, some of them have a boolean color scheme. Yeah, uh, a lot of them have misprints. Some of them have like funny or like weird serial numbers and like that sort of stuff. Yeah, I I think that's uh you know that's uh the aesthetics of money is a very interesting subject. What art do we use to communicate value and not just value but objective value and something that the state imbues power with through mm -hmm. art. I mean, the state in regular currency. And in this, it's the, I don't know, the blockchain. 
or whatever. So how do you communicate that yeah, sense I'm, of authority through art? I'm a bit confused because your money doesn't have any old dead white dudes on it. <laughs> we are. We it, it did. Uh, <laughs> we have. I just. I have a ten dollar bill in my pocket with. Uh, I forget who they replaced it with. Uh, a lady. She's a, she's a good lady though. We like her. But he used to have John A. McDonald, Murder and John, as they call them, Murder and John A. McDonald. Mm-hmm. Like to get drunk and murder indigenous children. No, but oh. I think that's actually uh, like a good point because, like, in doing research for this project, it's like it's pretty clear that like a lot of the um, sort of like analysis of like the art that's on money and just even like looking at just international currency just throughout time, mm-hmm. uh, like there is that trend of the art that you put on your currency sort of in some ways expresses the values of the country. So for like Soviet art, you'll have like the hammer and sickle sort of stuff. And then on like the American art, you'll have like the dead white founding fathers and, yeah. and like that sort of yeah, stuff. And a pyramid with an eye on it, you know, yeah, normal stuff. With the eye on. Yeah. Spooky uh, pyramids. You, that, that figures into your art as well. The part of the Stevie P symbol is pyramid eye. It does. It's uh, the my first project was uh, called Crypto God King, which was um, actually like the original intention of that project was to sort of like explore the relationship between uh, sort of like religion and money and how people like find value in sort of like weird immaterial things. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like the reason I chose the pyramid for that project was because it has this um uh, this like religious connotation, but it's also on the back of the U.S. dollar, so it has that currency connotation, and sort of at that intersection. Yeah, uh, and we put God, we write in God we trust on our money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is maybe a weird... they should write in people we trust. So what a weird thing to put on money. In yeah, well, God, I, I, we I trust. trust people. You know, I only trust God, man. What do no. they do in polytheistic countries? Like, what does India do? Like in gods we trust. It, it, it depends. Yeah, it, it depends on the region. You know, it depends on if they're Shivites or if they, you know, uh, like if Agni is their guy. You know, mm. different money, different. But it's all legal tender in India. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the money just has Gandhi on it. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's... that and has no statement about it. <laughs> it just has Gandhi on it. <laughs> it's just uh. Gandhi. It's all Gandhi bills. Um, I, I think, uh, I mean, the other thing about NFTs is that they're controversial, Steve, as you understand they're controversial because uh, they're controversial for the same reason that crypto is controversial. I Well, actually, they're controversial for two reasons. One, especially in what I, what I see from artists, other artists who have shunned NFTs is they're very put off by the idea of, you know, not having a physical copy of something. There's a lot of artists that have very strong ethical investment of the idea that you know a piece of art uh does correspond to to an actual physical piece of art um or if not an actual physical piece of art there is if if you're making if you're making something exclusively digitally then there is no original even and so it's the idea of an nft claiming that it can be an original is sort of appropriate or unethical or untruthful to what the purpose of the art actually is. That's one. I don't mm-hmm. agree. I don't agree with that one. As we've discussed on that show before, I, I think, especially to me who makes comics where I think the finished version, the canonical version is the one where I've outputted it through uh, the, the digital medium. I think that means the physical copy doesn't hold as much weight as the original 
digital version, which, as we've already established, doesn't actually exist. There is no original digital version. So that aspect, it's it's really like um, the environmental aspect and the fact that uh, crypto obviously is still bad for the environment mm-hmm. uh, that people sort of take issue with. And I think, you know, just justify your art, Steve, <laughs> justify it right now. Um, but, um, you know, what, what do you what do you say about these concerns? Yeah, I mean, I think the um, just like to address like the first concern really quickly. Um, I, I I sort of agree with you. It's just like if people think that, then it's sort of like whatever. It's like I don't really like I'm, I'm not threatened by that viewpoint, I think, mm-hmm. is like like I do think digital art is a valuable art form and i think especially uh with like generative art there's a lot of exciting things happening mm-hmm. right now and i think just even if you just look at the last like 30 40 years of art as it's just gotten sort of like increasingly uh abstract and multimedia and conceptual mm-hmm. it's it, it, like it, it just seems like pretty clear to me personally that the 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 sort of blowing in the direction of um, art being increasingly uh, digital and internet-based, incorporating elements of randomness, and in a lot of ways, uh, you know, just like kind of managed by uh, various sort of like blockchain uh, mechanics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I don't think that's going to be all art, I think. No, yeah, there still will be physical art. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know if like the market for physical art will increase in value because now there becomes this greater sense of value surrounding original physical things. I would hope that's what would happen. Like both markets would sort of complement each other. I mean, I think that there's like, there are some people who are doing really stupid shit where it's like, there was one person who I think uh, wanted to turn like a Basquiat into an NFT and the original and, and yeah, like, I remember that was great. Yeah, just like no, like why would you do? You're taking this thing that's like not digital and was created by the artist in a specific medium, and you just sort of want to like jam it into like the the fucking yeah. like computer, and it's just like like you, all you're doing is destroying a piece of yeah. art, and you're creating a new piece of art which is much less valid. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's stupid. I think they're. I think like. I wasn't a huge fan of this project at first, but Damien Hurst actually just did a project recently uh, called The Currency. I was very upset about because mm-hmm. I was about like halfway through uh, my project when I heard that he was also doing a currency theme project. Mm-hmm. But in in this project, fully, I think he generated. I think he created uh, like ten thousand unique paintings that all more or less look the same um, with some like different variations. And it's, it's sort of shaped a little bit like the, and like the, the art itself is sort of like, okay, it's not great. I'm not, it's not really my thing, but it's like sort of aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I think the interesting shots thing, fired in the NFT world, <laughs> Stevie P hates demon horse. Yeah. More at 11. Um, but what I will say is the, the thing I found really interesting about the concept is that uh, the art exists in both a physical form and in the digital form where he he created all these paintings and then he created NFTs of all the paintings. And after one year, I believe whoever holds 
the NFT will have the option of either uh, receiving the physical, basically trading in the NFT for the physical painting, and then the NFT is burnt, which means it just gets sent like a null address and now like no one owns it. Mm -hmm. Or you hold on to the NFT and the physical copy is like literally burnt. So basically mm. at a certain point, the all of the holders of the NFTs are forced to uh, basically choose between the physical copy and the digital copy. Who chose, do you know, do they have any stats on who chose what? Um, I think they, I don't think you have to make the choice yet. I think mm. uh, there's like a, a year time frame on it or something, but me, uh, I would trade it for the physical copy. I'm on physical side, team physical. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if I bought it, like part of me would want the physical one because it's like, okay, like I, I bought a uh, Damien Hurst for like $2,000 and that's like pretty cool. But on the other hand, I feel like if this was just a project where he produced 10,000 physical paintings that it just like wouldn't really be that interesting because the paintings aren't really that good like they're they're good like, yeah but he has to make 10,000 of them so they're yeah, like they, he had to in a short 10, amount of time. Of them, they all look the same and it's just sort of like whatever but i think what makes the project really interesting is the fact that there is this nft element to it so i think just if i'm going to own a piece of art that is just sort of like conceptual art and i'm just sort of owning this like abstract idea i think the nft is mm -hmm. a lot more interesting than just like this physical thing and just sort of embodies the the spirit of the project a little more i think we've talked about this in relation to nfts before but it always reminds me of marcel duchamp's non-retinal <laughs> art right yeah and how uh marcel duchamp uh theorized a version of art that where where the context of the art took precedence over the art itself which, yeah. you know, art that you don't see with your eye or that you don't necessarily experience wholly with your eye. Yeah. And I think it's like it's interesting because um, the like most NFTs. Well, I think first of all, I think most NFTs are just like not very good. Uh, but I think there are a lot of NFTs that that are quite good. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's sort of like interesting because I think a lot of people don't really get the concept behind it. All they mm -hmm. really understand is that, uh, like they, they understand like the highest level of abstraction, which is like, oh, I'm buying digital art. And to yeah. them, that's just like all that. It, it's, it's the same as just like you bought this like movie on like Amazon and now Amazon lets you watch it whenever you want. But the difference here is that instead of it being controlled by a single large corporate entity it's uh it's managed by this decentralized mm -hmm. computing network yeah. so i think for like a lot of those people the, the actual concept of like what's going on is sort of besides the point and i think for a lot of people it's just like it becomes purely about the visual aesthetics of like what they're viewing mm -hmm. and i think like personally i think the most interesting projects that are going on right now like definitely have that aesthetic value to it but are also really exploring the the actual concept and like the medium of being on the blockchain and mm -hmm. sort of like exploring themes of like what is crypto art like this is a new thing like how can we like what are some new things we can do like there are some artists who are doing things like um every time the token is traded 
it uh, like degrades in value a little bit, which is like cool because you have this digital art and there's no other way to really keep track of digital art being traded. But here you are, you're sort of like replicating physical art being traded by mm -hmm. uh, referencing the, the trades happening on the blockchain. Yeah. I, um, is there concern in the NFT communities for like the criticisms leveled against it? Are there like members of the NFT community who are trying to like work against the um, work against at least, you know, the percent because the art world, too, it's, you know, filled with it's uh, or the people who tend to appreciate art. Also, I actually I have no idea. I can't justify this statement, but um, yeah, it just. Even among people that uh, trade crypto who are stereotyped to be, you know, uh, libertarian weirdos, I'm sure there's still environmental concern because it's just an overwhelming concern for anybody, you know, under uh, under 40 and not brainwashed by uh, anti-climate change media. Yeah, no, definitely. So I think the I think the crypto concerns are interesting because, like, I really don't blame people who look at blockchain stuff and are just like freaked out by the environmental impact because i think when you sort of zoom out and look at the environmental impact that blockchains are having like it is pretty bad mm -hmm. uh although like it's like it's it's it's, it's really complicated because uh I guess if you look at it on like a really basic level, you see that it's burning a lot of energy, but at the same time, it's that doesn't necessarily translate one to one to like carbon emission because a lot of uh, blockchain or a lot of nodes on different blockchain networks are they're using green energy because it's cheaper or they're using a runoff. Or they get those uh, weird energy but, credits that Elon Musk gets, or something. Yeah, like or they're just like they're they're part of this like this grid that is using just like, and they're just using runoff energy just because it's cheaper. And like, really, like I don't know nearly enough to like comment on any of that. So I'm just sort of like operating on the assumption that it's burn like Ethereum and Bitcoin and just like the other networks are burning a lot of energy and that it's bad for the environment. Hmm. Um, but. I don't think it's entirely fair or accurate to say that uh, sort of like trading NFTs is like a major contributor to this because yeah. essentially what's going on is um, the way the blockchain sort of like works on a high level is you have a lot of nodes around the world, just like a node being a computer and the nodes are all talking to each other and when I want to send a transaction out to the network. So it's like, I want to send Alex uh, five fake internet monies. Then I use cryptography, send it out to the network. And then the network has to basically determine where that transaction sits relative to other transactions. So if I have a, a, a Fiverr fake internet money, I could send it to Alex and I could also send it to Steven, but since I only own this one thing, only one of those transactions is gonna be valid. So the, the sort of like magical, like blockchain revolutionary thing that was sort of like introduced with Bitcoin is it uses this protocol that, this network protocol that allows the network to come to consensus 
on which transaction happened before the other transaction. Mm -hmm. So the, the consensus algorithm that Bitcoin pioneered that was ultimately adopted by Ethereum is this uh, called proof of work, right. which essentially means that um, it's, it's, it's basically like there's a, a complicated cryptographic puzzle that each of the nodes are racing to solve. The only way you could really solve the puzzle is by just brute forcing it and spending a lot of electricity on mm -hmm. computational power. Yeah. So it's basically, it's a race to see like, okay, it's just like, we're all who, like, who's burning the most energy and whoever like burns the most energy is going to be the one to quote unquote mine the block, which right. means they get to determine the order of a subset of transactions. And one of those transactions means that they receive a Bitcoin or Ethereum. Mm -hmm. So Obviously, this is bad because, like, the way the, the ne these networks function is because it is by uh, like literally just burning energy, and that's yeah. not good. Uh, but I think when you look at the economics of it, it's sort of interesting because the if you're running a node, the thing that or the the sort of calculus that you have to reconcile is I'm spending X amount of let's say US dollars on electricity and the reward for mining the block is say, uh, I, I don't know what it actually is, uh, but let's say it's like 10 Ethereum mm -hmm. and Ethereum is at uh, $4,000 per ether right now. So uh, basically I have to like calculate the probability that I'll mine the block times the amount of uh, electricity, the, the, the dollar cost in electricity that I'm burning and take that and compare that to the expected value of mining the block. And if the expected value, if it basically, if I could like on any given block that's being mined, if, um, if I could expect to make a hundred dollars, but it only costs me $90 to, um, to like actually yeah. like participate then it's it's in my best economic interests to participate in this. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, is that the for Ethereum, mm -hmm. the amount of uh, basically the 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 amount of contract code that is running on the so basically like with the way NFTs work is you have basically software that's running on the network and mm -hmm. what powers NFTs and a lot of alternative cryptocurrencies. And the, so basically like what it boils down to is the network activity on the network doesn't really have an effect on whether or not all of these nodes are operating because if let's say we're talking about like the middle of the night where like there's, well, I mean, middle of the night, we're in a, yeah. we're, we're, we're in a big world and there's no middle of the night for the world. But let's say for like an hour, no one was really, everyone took an NFT break. Uh, in that hour, the network is still running and yeah. nodes are still voting on uh, like the order of, well, there's not, there aren't a lot of transactions, but let's say there are like five transactions happening. Uh, at any given second, the like the network is now just voting on 
less stuff, but they're they're still all burning the same amount of electricity to make the network operate. Right. So, I, but I think, you know, it's it's more it's less that the NFTs themselves represent uh, a significant amount of the Bitcoin or Ethereum traffic, but rather I think the most interesting thing that you pointed out um, what, about why NFTs have exploded is the fact that um, uh, uh, cryptocurrency to fiat currency transactions are taxed. And mm. the fact that there is suddenly now this market to have this thing which is untaxable that you can actually grow your cryptocurrency with. Mm. And so NFTs represented this. And I, I, and I think so the fact that you have NFTs, it encourages the use of cryptocurrency in general. Uh, and it encourages its value as well, which people who are sort of unnerved by that see as uh, you know, championing, you know, New York yeah. was underwater this week. Oh, no. So I think that that's why I'm not I'm not going to let NFTs like totally off the hook. But I think my point is that it's that the relationship is really sort of like indirect. And mm -hmm. I think that um, I guess basically like the point I was getting at is that the also to like to be clear i think when there's more network activity there's this thing called uh like gas that like operates on the network which i won't get into but mm -hmm. like miners do get like extra reward if there's like a lot of stuff happening on the network but really at the end of the day the um especially this i guess there was a big change in the way ethereum operates recently but so there's this might be more applicable to Bitcoin and was applicable to Ethereum at, like as of a few months ago, is that the, the primary driver of what makes mining a node profitable is uh, the price of that cryptocurrency relative to the, the fiat currency that they're operating in. Right. And I think that I've seen at least uh, it's it's been hard to sort of like drive a clear relationship between how popular NFTs are versus the actual cryptocurrency, which might sound a little weird. But if you look at the um, basically, if you look at the, uh, the the exchange rate of like cryptocurrency to fiat over the last year or so, mm -hmm. I think with Ethereum, one thing you'll notice is that the the biggest driver of the price of Ethereum by far is the price of Bitcoin, which has a lot more money flowing into it. So I think really what's happening is that, yeah, like I'm sure NFTs and like the popularity of the NFT market are affecting the price of Ethereum to some extent, mm -hmm. but like there aren't any NFTs on Bitcoin and Bitcoin has a much bigger market cap than Ethereum. And so basically what I think is happening is you just have like institutional investors pouring money into Bitcoin and to some extent Ethereum and to some extent some of these other cryptocurrencies and mm -hmm. they are the ones who are like the primary drivers of uh, these exchange rates and then as sort of like a, a very very small sort of like secondary concern is just like you have uh, a lot of like little guys who are just like throwing in like a hundred bucks here and there to like yeah. buy NFTs. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I think that's like uh, there is. Yeah. The other criticism is, uh, as you said, with the collectibles and the fact that a lot of it is a lot of the NFT market is geared towards these collectible sets. 
that sort of and the fact uh, also with generative art, the fact that it's random and some random things are more valuable, it does create this gambling mentality as mm-hmm. well, uh, which, you know, for the wrong person can be. I, I mean, but it's it's no different than somebody, say, gambling on the stock market. But I think maybe just people are put off by, oh, look, a new thing to gamble your baby's milk money away on. Yeah. And I think I bought this I bought this and Bugs Bunny Space Jam, a new legacy NFT, and it's not paying off. Where did I go? No, no. Yeah, no, I think that that's, uh, that is totally a 100% valid criticism. And it's something that I personally am worried about. Like, I think the, the, the one thing that like really keeps me up at night is that someone who doesn't really have the money buys one of my pieces on like credit card debt, or they like mortgage their house to like buy a bunch of NFTs and one of which is mine. And they're like hiding it from their spouse. And then the NFT market creators, which I think it'll do eventually. And then they, they basically they end up like losing all this money and kill themselves. And that's something that like, I don't really want on my conscience. And that's, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad you don't want, yeah. that. you don't but, really want it. Yeah, I, I do. I want, I, reason... I, I want that on my conscience. You can <laughs> send it to, send it to me. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tokenize my guilt. And yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send that to you. Uh, oh you, man, you, this guy killed himself. You, that could be your next <laughs> NFT project. Is yeah. like uh, the 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 well, Facebook I, posts yeah, of the guy that killed himself. Well, I, yeah, because my my NFT idea is to start the most evil, worst NFT you can think of. The mm. one that destroys the world and everyone is really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That's what you keep an eye out for that. That's going to be dropping soon, yeah. 2022, February. Um, <laughs> but we've reached we've reached the end of our episode. Um, Steve, what would you like to plug? Um, I would like to plug my Twitter account where you could follow me and hear about all my uh, my weird projects that hopefully aren't pushing people to commit suicide. <laughs> and also has a link to my my Discord on it, which is Stevie P X Y Z. All right, that's S T E V I E P dot X Y Z. No, no dot. If you if you put the dot in, you'll end up at my website, which will. Oh, I thought uh, that was. I thought you were re- repping uh, your website. You're repping your Twitter. Yeah, my, my Twitter is Stevie P X Y Z. My website is Stevie P dot X Y Z. Confusing. Confusing. Get your branding and, together. And my uh, my Ethereum my human readable Ethereum address is stevp.eth. If you want to send some ETH my way yeah. for some reason. Okay, well, for a little change of pace, let's have uh, Septic Mountain take us out with nitrate, as we mentioned yeah. at the top of the show. Oh, no.